We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Let's descend into the mouth of hell, shall we? Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hi, it's Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome home to your Boo Crew. A time of release continuing our trick-or-treat with the Boo Crew marriage. For Halloween 2022 New shows in addition to our regular Tuesday release Practically every day leading up to Halloween Thank you so much for putting up with us And thanks so much for being part of this with us How are you by the way? Please reach out on DM. Tell me, Lauren and Leo, what's going on with you? What are you watching? Who you'd like to hear from on the show? A movie you'd like covered? And again, most of all, just how are you doing? We care about you and think about you all the time. On episode 359, there is a fantastic new film opening up in theaters everywhere as of tonight. Official release date, October 28th, just in time for Halloween weekend. You've got to go experience Pray for the Devil, a truly unique story of possession given so much gravity anchored by an astounding and empowering performance by the gifted actor Jacqueline Byers. We are so excited to bring you in on this conversation with Jacqueline and the architect of this experience, the film's director, Daniel Stamm, who you'd know from his work in The Last Exorcism, Fear the Walking Dead, 13 Sins, and tons more, multi-award winner. Hear about this wonderful and fresh take on this absolutely terrifying subgenre, arguably the most scary of all of them. How they used inventiveness and empathy to craft something truly unique. We explore their own past in the horror genre and what it means to them. The shocking truths behind exorcisms and its current process. Get to the bottom of the real-life prayer that accompanies your Blu-ray of The Last Exorcism and so much more. Episode 359 with Jacqueline Byers and Daniel Stamm for Pray for the Devil is now slaying. Or praying. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio are two evocative and powerful storytellers. She began her journey on the stages of community theater productions at the age of 12. Armed with a BA in acting from Queen's University in Canada, she's gone from the plays of Toronto's Fringe Festival to beloved classics Annie and Peter Pan to a starring role in sci-fi's acclaimed three-part series. Series Ascension. This was followed by the Critics' Choice winning The Strain, Roadies with Carla Gugino and Luke Wilson, a barrage of Saturn-nominated projects. We're talking Bad Samaritans, CBS's sci-fi thriller Salvation, NBC's Timeless, where she absolutely killed it as Bonnie Parker. There is a reason she has been entrusted to bring to life the worlds of the greatest creators in cinema history, from Guillermo del Toro to Cameron Crowe. Her dedication to discovering the truth of the characters she plays makes them real for the audience in those moments is why anything she is in is thrilling to experience because through her eyes, her voice, and performance, she absolutely becomes the conduit of the power of story. Also here with us, he went from a radio host and magazine editor as a teen in Germany, joined a theater, became a playwright before doing piecework in Northern Ireland, a certified hypnotist whose first feature film, A Necessary Death, won the Audience Award at AFI. His follow-up, The Last Exorcism, snagged Eli Roth as a producer and was a phenomenal success at the box office and festival all over the world, earning prizes at Empire to Sitkiss, then came 13 Sins, some phenomenal TV work like Glenn Morgan's Intruders, the Scream series, Fear the Walking Dead, Amazon's Them, and an episode of Into the Dark for Blumhouse. With an impeccable sense of detail and pacing, he makes every frame something extraordinary, filling it with artful nuance. His films are terrifying, relentless, and simply thrilling to take in. Together, their new project is about a nun who pursues training at a school of exorcism for the Vatican, where she finds herself in a spiritual war to save the soul of a 10-year-old girl. Pray for the devil. It's in theaters everywhere this Halloween. As of October 28th, we are honored to welcome its director, Daniel Stamm, and star, Jacqueline.
Bitcoin buyers. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> My God, Trevor, we are impressive through your eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, is this how he won you over? Because I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. You guys, I had known <laughs> half of these things about you, Jackie. I could not have gotten a word out. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> you guys are both incredible, and thank you so much for taking yes. the time to speak with us. Congrats oh. on this amazing film. We're going to start nice and easy. Talking about the horror genre in terms of kind of where it sits in both your lives as the sum of your parts uh, as creatives yourself. So, Jacqueline, off the top of your head, what is your earliest memory of being exposed to a horror film and how did it make you feel? Uh, my first horror movie was It. Wow. And I didn't watch horror movies for a long while after that. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the, the recent, like the theatrical return to it or the TV no, miniseries? No, no, no. Like back. Um, yeah. The original. I had like reoccurring nightmares for a while after seeing it. And the, uh, it, it. Um, and then I got kind of back into them when I was like 16 and wanted to make out with boys <laughs> <laughs> and then took another hiatus and I got reintroduced probably around 23 when I kind of, um, I grew up in a little bit of a bubble and got introduced to like real film, real cinema. And that's when my passion for it really began. And that's when I saw like Rosemary's baby shining and then it went on from there. Nice. So do you have a collection of like three or four favorites? Uh, I would imagine the Rosemary's Baby and Shining. Yeah, as you mentioned. Rosemary's Baby Shining. Actually, it. I also love uh, Midsummer mm. and Hereditary. I think horror's going through an incredible wave right now, including Pray for the Devil. <laughs> Most certainly. Most certainly. Dan, well, same question to you, my man. I, lo I love doing these interviews because I'm always realizing something that I didn't know before. And I just cracked one of the big mysteries of my childhood. My first horror movie was Psycho when I was eight. And until now, I'm 46 now, until now, I've wondered what were my parents thinking? <laughs> How is that possible? And while Jackie was just talking, I realized well, black and white. They were like, this can't be scary because we want our son to watch some cinema. It's black and white, so it must be art. Let's have him, you know, there's a movie on. Do you want to come watch it? And then it fucked me up. For <laughs> <laughs> Your parents totally make you watch Psycho. Yeah, my family is making me watch Doors Day. <laughs> <laughs> it's slightly different. Mine screwed up my relationship with my mother for years. It's, it's, it's image. I mean, it's such a good movie, but it's images you never get out of your 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 head again. Especially because that age and that day and age, the whole female male gender swap mm -hmm. thing, where we would now shrug at, was like something that I couldn't even fathom. Sure. You know, so yeah, no, that blew my mind for sure. Since then, what are some of the other movies that have kind of ingrained themselves in <laughs> they, your brain? They just the, the most terrifying thing that I had seen in a long time was Good Night, Mommy. Yeah, the Austrian, the Austrian original. I haven't seen the remake yet. I'm, I'd, I'd be excited to see it. But man, that movie had everything. It's one of those things that is great as a pitch. The mother is coming back bandaged from an operation, and the kids start getting the feeling that's not our mother. That alone is great. But that is just like one of the many aspects of the movie. And by doing that, you don't give anything away of the brilliance of the rest of the movie. It's like such a good movie. I'm still uh, haunted by, uh, by the priest, by the pastor coming back to the ranch at the end of Last Exorcism myself, actually. That, uh, that haunts me in the middle of the night very often. So thank because you, for you Because you hate the ending? No, because no, no, my God. I love the ending. I and love the ending. The very few people because the world hates that ending. How? How does anybody hate that ending? It's the perfect. Where else could it have gone at that moment when they come back and see all the stuff inside the house and what's revealed in the field and everything, not to spoil it for anybody. I was so elated that this is where it was headed. Aha. Uh -huh. That's nice to hear. 12 years later. <laughs> it's nice that you're avoiding spoilers for a 12 year old. Right. right. Well, because I want people to see it who haven't experienced it yet. Yeah. It's a great film. My yeah, God. Anyway, uh, Jackie, you played in the genre sandbox with some astounding imaginations uh, to collaborate mm -hmm. with. And, and now with Dan, previously with stories like I mentioned of Del Toro and others. What do you enjoy about where the genre space takes your imagination as a performer and actor? I just think the genre offers its 
you have every aspect of filmmaking, but like everything's heightened. The drama is heightened. Fear is heightened. As an actress, you have just like such a range to play with that. Um, it, I think it's the most difficult field to act in, which is probably why I want to do it. Dan, what do you enjoy about the power of telling a story through the lens. I'm always just impressed just to what Jackie just said. When people take something on because it is difficult, I'm always like, why would I? Never in my life <laughs> would I take it on anything because it was difficult. No. Uh, why do I? I just, this is another thing I just got clear in my head a couple of days ago, um, this why horror movies thing. And I think it is the, the gift that we're trying to give to the audience, the experience the effect we're trying to have, what's special about the horror movies is that it's coming after the movie. It's not the movie itself. We try to make the movie itself as much of a roller coaster as possible or whatever. But the more fundamentally important thing is that we are trying to put the audience through a near death experience where their reptile brain is basically bombarded with these things that that used to kill us in the time of, of saber tooth tigers and all that and it's a it's a muscle that's not being exercised anymore because we're on top of the food chain rarely do we get any shadows jumping out at us so to put the audience through an hour and a half of that and have them come out and breathe air and life as if they've just been reborn because they've gone through this near-death experience that's a pretty profound thing so so daniel baptizes people with his films i think is what he's getting at <laughs> Not to take myself too seriously, but I do. <laughs> Figuratively and literally. Yeah. <laughs> Leo, you had a question, man. Jump in. Yeah, Daniel, this is your return to the uh, religious exorcism subgenre of horror. What is it about the exorcism demonology phenomenon that draws you back to direct in the space? Well, the first thing is that I'm being offered a movie like this where I'm like, wait, I've done an exorcism movie for Lionsgate before. I can get this movie because it's pretty competitive to get these movies. You know, these sure. scripts are being sent out to a couple of directors. Everybody comes in with their pitch and all that. So one thing is to to get your hands on on these movies. But then the other thing is that I like about exorcism. It's it's got comes with its challenges. It's a very narrow field, obviously, because the audience expects certain set pieces, and you have to provide those set pieces. Otherwise, you don't give them worth their money. But on the other hand, you want to give the people that are have seen 20 exorcism movies you want to give them something fresh you basically have to make a movie for two audiences i had the after last exorcism there was a, a 13 year old who recorded a review of last exorcism and it was the first horror movie he had ever seen in his life and it was such a different view on there was no cynicism there was no oh i'm so intellectual there was no oh this is just a rip off of the exorcist he experienced these things for the first time in his life and for him the original exorcism movie is now the last exorcism so i'm always keeping in my head we need for our movie to work for an audience like that. We owe them that. If that is that boy and it's his first exorcism movie, we better in, an, in a non-ironically distant way really lean into these set pieces. On the other hand, of course, you always half make your movies for your filmmaking peers and you want to you know, do something, give them something intellectual somehow and for people that have seen so many exorcism movies. So you try to find a fresh re- imagination of the details kind mm. of a thing mm. and and with this movie by the virtue of having a female protagonist it changes everything it blew the the door wide open to leaning into parts of the story that you can only do with this story because suddenly you have all these sources of conflict that you don't have with a priest if it's just a priest against a demon there's one source of conflict and that's priest versus demon you put the nun in there who is fighting for her right to perform an exorcism. She's fighting for the right to battle the demon, but first she has to take on the patriarchy. And she, you know, she's basically committing a revolutionary act that's much more dangerous for the church than any demon or devil or whatever. Like they're very comfortable with the demons and devils because they've handled those for millennia. But for the woman that suddenly comes in and goes like, Ding, ding, dawn of a new age here. You know, yeah. that is like much more scary to the church. So it's a whole, it's a very different movie within the exorcism world, I think. I wish that's how she entered. Just like, ding, dong. <laughs> right. <laughs> for, for both of you, how deep did your research go into exorcism cases? 
I didn't go into ex- specific exorcism cases, but I did read the book, uh, The Bible on Spiritual Warfare. So that was kind of my pathway into how exorcisms were completed, the Psalms that were used for specific demons. And then a lot of my work, I kind of approached this film a little bit more as like a psychological thriller, a lot more on the psychological aspect of making this, because I feel like so much of the horror is done in Daniel's hands, where it's like the length of shot, um, creating suspense by um, like lingering. Or I love he create. he was talked about this the other day, how he, offsets the um me slightly so you almost feel like something could come in at any moment yeah. it just yeah. creates a level of anxiety which is just it's it, it's a tool that he used which i just think is fascinating from not knowing that i, I stole um, that i stole that from james wan though i can't take credit for that I totally stole that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's what to do with that negative space and where to trick yeah. our eyes. It's all part of that sleight of hand magic trick that Daniel's so fantastic at, right? Mm-hmm. So. And then I, I actually worked with a therapist um, about trauma and where it lies in the body and the idea of uh, fight versus flight. Because she, I think it's really interesting. This is like an idea that I had that I brought to the film was that most people under those circumstances, whether they either go to battle or they run away. She kind of be, is able to calm herself and see the victim in that moment. And it's like, where then is the fear that has to also also be present? Um, I've said this before, but Daniel is like, the audience is, is going to be as scared as you are. However, she's still very strong and fighting something. So within that moment, she has to seem calm, but this lingering fear has to be present as well so uh that's a lot of the work that i did in preparation for this film yeah jacqueline your character sister Anne, is such a unique modern take on your typical nun usually if we see them out of uh, you know the proper attire they get reprimanded in certain movies you know so this time along it's like your character is a very modern take on this how did, did you get to spend time with nuns did you get this to prepare how did you prepare for this role um i didn't spend any time with any specific nuns i don't know any um but i did do some research the wardrobe was a big part in that they're very specific to like the the habit is very specific and has a lot of meaning behind it what i love is that uh her doc martens that was daniel's idea and we were so against it we're like nuns are supposed to wear sandals it's just symbolize poverty and then he had me go out into the middle of sofia in bulgaria and walk around for a day in my habit um i also ran into christian in his priest outfit randomly oh, wow so in the middle of sofia you had, you had a nun and a priest having a cappuccino um or a drink maybe later on in the day um anyways I got so blistered that day from wearing my Doc Martin sandals that I was like, screw it. I'm going to wear the Doc Martin boots. <laughs> it's going to be more comfortable. And looking back, I'm like, it takes on a whole new meaning because to me, it brings in the life that she had before she was a nun into the film with her. And I think, and into this story, into that life that she has um, at the convent or at the school. So, Yeah. Dan, I don't know if that answers your question. No, that's great. That's great. And I want to keep going on that because the one thing that we yeah. really noticed that just popped is the wardrobe in this film from like her habit and the, you know, the robes that the people are wearing um, in the bottom of the school there who are, who are going through therapies and whatnot with the crest on their robes and everything. They had a very unique look. So, Dan, can you elaborate a little bit more on just the, the process of the wardrobe design and where you wanted to kind of take everything? One moment, obviously, that that is really empowering when you take on kind of a version of the male clergy outfit that are like a remixed version of that, which is an incredibly power empowering moment in the film. We've never seen anything like this. So Dan, if you could elaborate. Yeah, there's, there's always this thought obviously that every one of your aesthetic aesthetic decisions should come from the story. And I'm allowing myself one aesthetic decision that is just my own. And it doesn't matter what movie it is, which is that I hate colors. I just everything I learned that with House of Cards, like you would have scenes where there are 200 people, random people in the street, and you don't realize that they're all wearing black. And you wonder why this show looks so elegant and so, you know, elevated. And it's because of that. So in every movie, pretty much, I'm trying to pull out colors as much as possible to then reintroduce them very selectively so that they mean something. Like if you have a room where there is no color, it's only grays and browns, and then you put a red apple on the table, suddenly that apple explodes in your face and you can make it mean something. Mm -hmm. So the good thing about this world of of the nuns and priests was that it is by default 
almost black and white, yeah. you know, yeah. and then you are telling the story of a battle of light versus dark shadow versus, you know, evil versus good. And it's then very easy to suddenly give meaning to shades. So it's not a coincidence that, that Anne's outfit is gray rather than black, you know, or that she's wearing the priests habit in the last, uh, the, the priest suit in the third act, all that kind of stuff. And we just had a wonderful, I mean, our entire team in Bulgaria was so good at what they did. And so they were such a family and such a close knit family. And they got, got so much quality done without any of the ego that you would have to deal with here. And our costume designer, I, I'll butcher her name, Elena, Elena Strobanova, um, was like third generation costume designer. Her grandmother was already blah, blah, blah. Amazing. Wow. Uh, and she was just so, when you're talking about research, she just did so yeah. much research. And she could tell you with every, every button, everything, where that is from and what it means and where we put this and this and which shade of gray. To her, two shades of gray. Where I'm like, these are exactly the same shades of gray. She said, oh, no, this is the Turkish gray whale, whatever. And this is... <laughs> Um, so that's, there was just a combination of, of those things. And then a lot of Jackie's input about how stuff just feels. I didn't know until a day or two ago that her choice of footwear was because of her blisters. Back then, I thought she had seen the light and understood my creative where I was coming from. <laughs> and we were now creatively aligned in the character. Or that. So two, or that. I've been hearing her talk about blisters. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did either one of you get to keep any of the costumes because they are so incredible or any of the props like that comb? Did anybody get to walk away with anything? I got to keep my boots. <laughs> nice. And the blisters. And the- which which is- were actually originally pink because they didn't have my size in Bulgaria. So they're pink Doc Martens that have been painted black. Oh, the pink Doc Martens. That would have been an interesting yeah. pop of color right I there. Yeah, there's the color that he <laughs> didn't know existed in the film. It's interesting because what usually happens after a movie is that the prop department, the costume department, everybody goes on lockdown and everything. They take two days to label everything and put everything in a warehouse in case of reshoots or in case of, God forbid, a sequel or something. So no one is allowed to take anything. So what Jackie here very charmingly describes is theft. (laughs) No, they were a gift. Elena gave them to me. Elena committed to theft. I brought them back for the reshoot. So, you know, it was a gift. It was a gift. Yeah, it was a gift. Thank you. I wanted to talk about this amazing script that this whole thing started with, right? We got Todd and Earl Jones, who have extraordinary pedigree as comedy writers, going back to a show I used to watch all the time, In Living Color. And then you got Robert Zappia, who is behind one of the most fun entries in the Halloween franchise, H2O, if you ask us. What a wild dynamic. But so this not only gives us a really brisk pace, it's so exciting to watch. There's no lulls in the script at all. But there's also some really beautiful poetry going on in there, too, like comparing the rite of exorcism to a dance and finding the cadence of battle. Or one of my favorites, um, and one we can all resonate with, actually, is a Virginia Madsen line. Uh, You're on a new path. It's natural to feel lost. Keep going. Jacqueline, mm-hmm. as a performer, what were the things you noticed that were unique and powerful in the way that this was actually written that excited your brain as a performer? I actually don't have a ton of dialogue. It's very, um, it's very specific with what it says. It's not like a verbose. And then beyond that, I think Daniel and I spoke about this a lot. It's not just a female in the role of a man. She's not just like beating people up in the way that men do. She is coming in with her own approach and a female approach to exorcism. And I think that is what drew me in because like a strong female character is used all the time, but it's like, why, why does this one actually deserve that title Mm -hmm. versus a lot of other films that are just like placing women in the same roles as men? Um, Sure. Daniel. The thing that starts it all is that Robert is a practicing Catholic. Yeah. And, And in, in no, no project I've ever been involved in, or definitely not like religious horror, there has ever been a single person involved who is a believer. Like last exorcism down to the last costume assistant, no one believed in, in God to begin with, but definitely like let alone the devil and demons and all that. So here, for here to have the starting point be uh, a Catholic, 
I think really you could feel in the script in that the church wasn't as one dimensional and as easily dismissed as in a lot of other projects. But yes, of course, they are kind of stuck in the Middle Ages, but they're also not stupid. They are using technology. They are using medicine. They are using psychiatry um, and they which is all based and that's the the second part to this is all based in reality because robert has a friend a friend of his son's i think is a deacon and that deacon set him up with a real exorcist so they talked and everything that we're saying in this movie is true we didn't have to make up anything all this stuff that that possessions are on the rise and are at a high right now and that the the golden age of exorcism is not the middle ages but it's today in all religions whether that's Christianity, Hinduism, Judaism, you know, any, everything. And that the church opened up all these schools in 2018 is also all true. And the first draft that I ever read of it was much, much heavier on, on the seminars. I think Colin, our, our father Quinn had like four or five different workshops and seminars that Anne was sitting in on. I didn't do any research because I didn't have to do any research because I already had a script full of research. And now the job was more pull out the research so that there's room for, you know, the moving parts, but, but keep the, the wisdom and the essence of that stuff in there. So yeah, it made it really special. Hey, Daniel, the, the uh, St. Michael, the Archangel Institute for Exorcism is such a different place that we haven't seen before a modern Institute where the possessed uh, are held and treated. Where did uh, the idea for such a place come from? Does, does such a modern place like this exist? Well, it's actually, again, based in reality in that the church employs uh, psychiatrists, atheist psychiatrists who are running the, the possessed, the, the victim, through all these tests very meticulously. And only once they are totally cleared by the psychiatrists and the psychiatrists are ruling out any mental stuff, only then are they greenlit for the right of exorcism. So it's a very rigorous thing, which I thought was important for this movie, because if you want to say this is the, the church today, yes, they're battling, they're fighting a battle that they've been fighting for millennia, but they are also fighting it with the modern tools that they have. And that's kind of our, our world. It's the ancient and the modern kind of coming together. And if I, 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 I would it make sense to me that if you have a possessed person that you that you better put that person in a room where you can really lock that door really tightly, you know, and have like a key card to it and all that stuff. Also, I love how you use this incredible set piece to kind of, um, I don't know, use the architecture to frame Sister Anne's journey. Often you'll shoot her through baluster of a staircase, for instance, or use use mirrors and do these cool like split diopter shots that are just so awesome. What was kind of the overall voice of the camera you wanted to have for the entire film? Well, we knew it all started that I had a completely different look in my head for the entire movie. I imagined it much more Vatican-y, that kind of architecture. And then we were ending up shooting in Bulgaria and I'm talking to the production, to the location team. And they're saying, you realize that we are an Orthodox country. We don't have any of that Catholic architecture you're talking about. And I was like, oh <laughs> yeah, I knew that. Mm. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we were location scouting and we found the University of Sofia which just looked incredible because due to socialist times, they had not renovated anything in the school. So it was this beautiful architecture, but it was all run down and it just felt lived in and real. You know, wherever you pointed the camera, if you imagined you'd have to design all this in production design, you would have gone crazy. It would have been a hundred million dollar movie. But because we had that one location where we could point the camera e everywhere, we could basically concentrate all our budget into the third act where we had to build everything, the catacombs and all that stuff. But now, of course, you are up. The task is, how do I make this interesting? How do I keep this one location for a long stretch of time? How do I make that as visually interesting as possible? And very early, there was this idea that we wanted it to be a time travel thing, that we or, or a journey through back in time that we start with on the modern day. She's coming into the church. We know, okay, this is today. And then they're using technology and all that in there. 
And then it gets kind of level by level in this academy. The further down we go, the more we are in the Middle Ages until the third act is basically completely battled in the, in the, you know, in the dark age, almost without electricity yeah. in the catacombs, which is, I think, a, a look that we wanted to ease the audience into. Like I, I wouldn't have wanted to see the catacombs in the first act because they just would have looked cheesy. You know, it's like, oh, really? That is what we're in an exorcism movie. But by going more ancient, more ancient, more ancient, slowly, subconsciously, even if it's just by holding a little longer on a painting or something like that, that the audience kind of doesn't feel the temperature of the water rising. And by the time we they find themselves in the catacombs from hundreds of centuries ago, it kind of feels as real and authentic as the rest of the movie helped oh certainly yeah like it's even done by just the paintings that are in the hallway with the candles underneath it um where all the patients are being held what were you gonna ask uh did anything creepy happen on the set that wasn't written on the script to actually happen no <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, no, it's okay a, if it didn't no exactly and there's another question that we're always asked which is like did anything was it creepy was it spooky to shoot this and this but i think because the filmmaking process is so slowed down. Like you guys, if you're watching the movie, you're experiencing the scene in real time and it's surprising and it's hopefully and it's scary or whatever. We're experiencing this scene in molasses over months, this level and then, and then this shot. And now we have to relight, like even just the speed alone prohibits for there to be any actual kind of creeping. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, there was a lot of stuff happening because we were the first project to go into production during COVID worldwide. So that was certainly scary because we had no idea what we were battling. There. Yeah, no one's vaccinated yet. It was like very early stages. Oh, wow. And then there are like very real scary moments there is this one moment where Father Dante is being like thrown against the wall and Christian said, I can do that stunt myself, which impressed me a lot. So we we untangled the stuntman, the, the Bulgarian stuntman from his wire work and put it onto Christian. But what how it was done was basically that the metal, the wires went into a hole in the wall and on the other side of the wall, there was a pulley and then two Bulgarian weightlifters were pulling wow. the string, you know, and they had practiced that again and again and again, but they had practiced it with a stuntman that was twice Christian's weight. Oh, and we, we didn't quite adjust oh, wow. for that. And then we shoot it. And that's the take you see in the he movie. He just right goes now. flying. Yeah. He just goes flying into that wall. Into that wall, which he never forgave me for. Rightfully so. Because that could have brought, b b b cut, like, cut his neck, like yeah. broken his back. You know, that could have been. And that's one moment. You make one mistake, one oversight. And, you know, so there's scary stuff like that, but it's very non-supernatural and non-demonic. Right. Well, I will say that, you know, it does come up because oftentimes we'll hear sets and productions that delve into the spiritual world do movies about demons real life demons or demons based on real life demons and possession and whatnot will often bring someone from the clergy to come down and bless the set and different things like that i've even heard stories about dvds and blu-rays of the last exorcism eli roth used to say they were actually blessed by priests because there was uh, stuff going on in the production of that film um that was unexplained well, that is, and, that's, that's how that's that's typical eli he's a great, <laughs> great marketer right that's half, that's half and half true uh what is true is that we had a protection prayer on the Blu-ray for very real reasons, because people will not watch the movie. I just did an interview with someone who had a protection crystal around her neck that she put on because of the movie that she had to wear during the movie and then during interview. It's so interesting because it's almost when we're talking about the two different audiences, almost a third audience, which is the believers, where they have been primed for this movie for decades of their lives. You know, yeah. and we're just kind of plugging the fruits of all that labor that has already been done so that we put a protection prayer on there was was not a marketing gimmick, but that was something that actually was supposed to kind of open the movie up to an audience that otherwise wouldn't have seen it, yeah. that there was supernatural stuff happening on set. Not only do I not believe that is true, but also Eli wasn't on set. Right. <laughs> I don't know when that would have happened. <laughs> That's great, though. But anything, anything for like for pray for the devil. Did you have someone come down and bless the set, for instance? No. No. 
But it's um, also in, it, what is interesting to me about that is that he didn't um, care about us. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't in the budget, and there was no principal area. So there we go. What's interesting to me about that is that on the one hand, people are reacting like, "Oh my God, you're inviting in the devil," you know, with that kind of stuff. On the other hand, the church is incredibly supportive. Like one of sure. the most pushed movie in the world is The Exorcist because it's a marketing tool for the church. Yes, you know. So you're kind of in this weird space in between. Where you want I wonder to how they'll feel about this one. Well, you know, it's true. Like, you, like <laughs> when you go back to 2018 and you read these articles about the rise in possessions in, in Italy, it was uh, the Vatican was quoting 500,000 cases annually in Ooh, Italy, yeah. and they were doing this reach out for more priests and more people to be trained as exorcists. They they mentioned a lot of people who were going into the field of exorcism to become was because of watching films like The Exorcist. So, yeah, I mean, it does work as a recruitment tr tool for sure. I wanted to ask you this. Is it true? Maybe we covered this and I missed it. But can male clergy be the only people who can to this day be trained yes. as exorcists? Yes. Yeah. Wow. And is there yeah. truth to that sister? It was it sister Catherine, I believe, that was quoted at the end being like back in the 1300s, one of the only female exorcisms in history. Yeah. Also true. Wow. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So I'm, I'm just curious as to this day, I, w I wonder why that still is the case. You know what? Someone I asked us that in an interview a couple of days ago. And I was so embarrassed that I don't know the answer to that question. We made a whole movie about it and no one ever bothered to ask the church, what is your argument behind this? Sure. Well, I think I that the movie, the movie does ask that question, you know, the movie but, does but, a terrific they, job. But, but just like in the movie, you don't get a satisfying answer. Sure. What Robert just sat down with this real exorcist and recorded a special feature for our Blu-ray and our DVD and an interview with that. Cool. Yeah, super cool. Uh, and he drew the line very interestingly. He said he can talk about the generals of it all, but it's forbidden for him to promote a specific movie. Mm. So he didn't want to watch the movie, comment on the movie, any of that. But you could ask him. And of course, the first question we put on that paper was like, why? What is your actual argument? You know, that, that women shouldn't perform this right. But as of now, I could not tell you. I have no idea. Wow, that is fascinating. The Boo Crew will be right back. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. One movie opened the door to our deepest fears. This year, the scariest movie of all time returns to theaters with footage you've never seen before. What an excellent day for an exorcism. William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist, the version you've never seen, with digitally restored sound, directed by William Friedkin. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. For more information, visit theexorcist.net or AOL keyword The Exorcist. Starts Friday, October 13th. mentioned that this film opens with this beautiful sequence where Sister Anne's backstory is revealed to Virginia Madsen's character. And I just found it so integral because this is where the audience either like latches on and connects or it doesn't. And that's where the magic happens, because at this point, I mean, uh, Lauren and I, we saw it in the theater together. Leo saw it independently of us. But I know when I looked over at Lauren during that scene, we were like, all right, this is this is in. We are in. Oh, the great. way that uh, Sister Anne's eyes well up. Uh, the flashback is perfect with that great washed out look. And the mom is terrifying. But your emotional commitment, Jackie, is palpable in, in those moments. Tell us about creating that moment and how it felt to take yourself to that that place. I think any person on this planet can, has experienced some sort of guilt and shame in their life. And I think... Um, I think that's part of the human condition. 
I won't discuss what I'm using in those moments and referring to, but I think the more personal that you can get as an actor, um, the more real it becomes for the people watching. Mm. I also think that there is, uh, I think, I think it, the only way out is through. I know it's like a cliche thing to say, but I also think that it's really important for people to go to those places. So if you use storytelling as a vessel, hopefully it will like encourage people to go to the places that feel uncomfortable so that they can get through it themselves. I, I don't know that she is such a strong story and the script is so strong that it, it didn't feel difficult to go there. I think that I, it, it was very much, the framework was there already. It was in place um, to be used. The moment you're talking about is so I totally agree with everything you're saying that it is the moment when the audience falls in love with Anne or they never will. You know, if that's not strong enough for you to feel protective over her, then what is you would never guess where that moment was in our first couple of cuts in it. 80. Wow. That scene. Yeah. Yeah. So you know and but everybody had the same reaction that you were having that you're like oh my god we love that character we have to if we have to restructure the entire movie let's do it it's worth it we have to start with that scene because from then on the audience is on board and experiences every one of the other scenes so differently we can't afford to wait until minute 80 and then we yeah restructured completely all that said dan i want to know just finding Jackie for this part what did you see it was an audition process was there something that you saw that just I mean it's a remarkable discovery it's amazing she did uh, incredible but what led you to her okay here's the the story about that remarkable discovery (laughs) which is that it's not mine at all I was the second director on this project the first director quit a week before pre-production started And I got the call. Can you be at that time? We were supposed to shoot in Romania and they were like, can you, it was Wednesday. Can you be in Romania on Friday? And I was like, well, wow. And they they sent me, (laughs) they sent me Jackie's casting video with the line. Here is an actress. We would love it if you loved her, which is exactly the words that you have to say to a director to make them hate whoever is on the case. Of course. Because <laughs> I was like, I will very well find my own lead actress. Thank you very much. Because it's like the most intimate decision. It's the one tool that will make or break, you know, because mm-hmm. you're trying to create uh, an artificial reality that you're going to present to the world and, and hope that they will mistake it for reality for an hour and a half. So you and your lead actors, you have to align your worldview and how you experience life so much that it's an it's not just a, a, a an acting thing it's a personality thing it's it's everything and that's why casting takes forever and that's why i have a very specific casting method blah 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 all that so the one th- the one person i knew was never going to play this part was this Jackie Byers woman in in my quicktime file <laughs> and and then i'm clicking I'm clicking play on that on that thing. And it is basically in a two minute video what you see in the movie over an hour and a half. It's like she does this arc, everything that Anne needs from the vulnerability to creating, transforming that vulnerability into uh, a rage and an anger. And from there into a badassness and into a superhero level where she It shows you strength, not because the absence of terror, but because she muscles exactly what Jackie just said. The only way is through. She muscles through that terror and and how horrified she is and how afraid is there the entire time. Because that that was the important thing, this whole wisdom that the audience will only be as scared as your protagonist is. So you have to keep her scared. On the other hand, we don't want her to be a, 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 a female character that kind of crumbles. She has to have that strength. And Jackie just did that within two minutes. And I have tears running down my, my eyes because it had every, all, everything that you get in the movie, it was all in there. And we never, never looked at another person. I was like, we would be crazy. I have to get over that ego thing. That is my job now to just swallow that this will never be my, that this moment that we're living through right now that you just put me into will be in my life from now on that I have to explain that the most amazing thing about this movie, Jackie Byers, 
It's not none, none of my doing, but actually my my predecessors. Oh, but still, that's that's a wonderful story, and and it, yeah, every word of every word of uh, how you make us feel through this journey is, is has been yeah. remarkably summed up by Dan. Yeah. Uh, what about as for far as uh, as you go, Jackie, and achieving that performance? That performance. What, what role does the director play in? I guess making you feel safe and, and comfortable enough to take yourself to those places, and what can they do to? help facilitate you in that journey. Daniel's a very delicate director. And it's really interesting watching him when he's, when I wasn't on screen, which is rarely, <laughs> when I was coming back, the screen is in front of him and he like paints with his hands on like the screen, almost like he's like orchestrating magic and moving us in a weird way. But it's chaotic and there, there's such a force when you're on a set. It's like he'll come to talk to you and it's like only you two are speaking to each other in that moment. And it's just so quiet and personal. And oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional talking about it. And there's just when there's trust in you, you can feel that from somebody. And I think that's the only way I could work. You don't want to battle someone when you're doing it. So his trust in me allowed me to do the things that I needed to do. See, I've never heard this before and it's beautiful to hear, but it's also exactly what I was just talking about, how intimate a choice your lead is, because it has the same effect for me. There are a million things going on, producers, time, there are fights, personality things, blah, 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 blah. And I can go to Jackie and the world just goes, whoop. it's just mm. when we, when we work together, it's just like, it's a vacuum. Yeah. And suddenly things become doable and and clear and simple because it allows you to blend all that out. If I had that with someone where I can't do that and I can't get away from the technicalities of things to really just refocus on why we originally wanted to make this movie, you know, and this character and all that. And that's what I meant with aligning our worldview for that moment. And then with Jackie, in every movie, I'm having this moment or many of these moments, but then when I'm just freezing, I'm just, I, 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 I don't know. I have no idea why I have no idea. And I just freeze. And to be able to go to your lead actress and go like, this is the problem. I have no idea why she does this right now. And Jackie will say her famous words. Let me try something. Mm. And then she goes and try something. And you're like, there it is. I don't even remember what the problem was because that felt so natural as if it always was the answer. And that is that trust. It's not, you know, that, that there is someone who knows the character better than you and whom you can turn to in that mo in those moments as a co-director, you know, sure. and that is, that is, there are actors out there that are great at what they're doing, but they don't have that quality. They aren't the ally to the director that makes everything less scary. And I'm so terrified on set because making a movie is so, such a, you know, such an overwhelming experience that anyone I can find solace and companionship with, I will never forget that, you know, and for that to be your lead actress is like day and night. It's, it's huge. It might not be this movie might not exist. It's not that this movie might not exist in this form because there might be another actress. I don't know if this movie would exist and come out in theaters in any version if it hadn't been Jackie Byers doing her magic on set. Oh, that's so well oh, said. I love that. No, but it, it's such like, um, you know, you can have all the confidence in the world, but it really strips you when you're working on a film set. And Daniel and I would just zoom sometimes at night and be like, oh my God, was that okay? <laughs> like, are we, is that, is, was this, did we, did we just like, what are we doing? And it was just so nice to also be able to be that vulnerable as a human being sure. working on something and not have to be like, oh, I'm great. I know what I'm doing all the time because there's times that you question yourself, you know? Yeah. And it must but, have also been hard knowing all the, the real world stuff that was going on and behind all this. Yeah. Stuff. You're dealing with COVID. You're there alone. You're isolated. Like we had, 10 days quarantine in Bulgaria and you're flying on a plane. Like it's all of it was new. I thought a lot of it served playing Anne, who's also so alone. Um, but it's hard as a human being, you know, <laughs> talking about real world stuff, this last scene that you were referencing earlier with the, uh, the other exorcist 600 years ago, yes. Catherine of, of Siena, that whole scene, we had to completely ADR because outside there were protests yeah. against the government. Oh, yeah. The oh, wow. You know? 
So that's not, there's not a single word in there from the original audio because outside we're like the chance of bring down the government, bring down the yeah. government. We're standing in there with our little exorcism thing in their university at all. Oh so, my God. Uh, it's definitely, definitely that. <laughs> that is wild energy to deal with too. My God. Well, we, we can't have this conversation without talking about uh, Natalie played by Posey Taylor in her first ever feature film. Is that true? <laughs> Oh, she's awesome. That was insane. <laughs> well, wow. the one the one sequence I wanted to talk about in particular is, uh, I mean, obviously the, the initial exorcism. There is so much going on in that scene. I mean, it's everything as a horror fan that you want to see in one yeah. scene. It's incredible. Just both of you, can you talk about kind of preparing for that scene and, and just harnessing the frenetic the frenetic elements that are going on in there Cor i mean being just, the choreographer of all that just to stay with with posy for a moment because finding her was one of those things where you always hear like oh we saw hundreds of women or hundreds of actors blah 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 and i wish i could say that about jackie that i found i didn't posy was the opposite we had you know that a, that a studio is in trouble when they say okay we have to hire a second casting director and they spent that money so they hired someone in the uk someone in the us and they both went out and came back with the last sentence in the world that you want to hear which is that girl doesn't exist we oh, don't wow. we don't have like and then the words i will you know that a casting director is is at the end of their rope when they are saying i am now going to go into schools so our UK's casting director now went into schools and then Jackie, you tell the rest of the story. Cause I hadn't even heard that part. Oh yeah. So her sister's drama teacher got like, Hey, here's a script that's going out. They're looking for a girl from this movie. So it was her older sister that got like asked to audition, but she was at camp. <laughs> so her mom's like, Posey, do you want to try doing it? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> she, so she said it. I know the, the, the older sister's kicking herself. But Posey did her audition, sent it in, and then they asked her to reread, but it's through Zoom because it's all through COVID. No auditions are in the room. And in the original script, there's a bit more swearing in it. And she didn't want to swear and she was so shy to swear. So her mom put like post it notes like all over the the laptop was like, you can say any of those words. You have permission to say any of those oh. words, whatever you want, just go for it. <laughs> um, but she's such a unique little find because she's, there's a beautiful thing about children in general is that they're, they're they live in their imagination already, you know, like it's such a cultivated thing in their being, but she is so innocent in real life in this beautiful vulnerability and then she switches on a dime and you have no idea where it is coming from and the crazy thing is like before we're doing takes she's like singing songs and dancing with her fingers and like being a nine-year-old and then all of a sudden you're like action and she just like <laughs> with a stare and you're just like what happened yeah she really conjures it up out of i don't i don't know where i don't know if she knows I worked with Millie, Millie Bobby Brown before she did Stranger Things when she was nine. And it, they are very similar in that they are incredibly intelligent, both of them. And they have a, a wisdom beyond their years somehow where no one knows where it's coming from. Completely unafraid of adults for some reason, <laughs> completely unafraid of adults. And they are just pulling it from somewhere where you as a director, which is scary, don't even have access you know, with a lot of like skilled actors, you can kind of access the source of their brilliance because it's a lot of craft and sure. there's a language to talk about it. For Posey to pull this out of the ether and to just, when it was there, it just hit you and you know, you were just like, okay. It was, it's really something special. And we were, I, I, there was another girl th that I was hung up on next to Posey because this one girl could give you the creepiest look that I've ever seen in my life. Like she had a, a, an evil look where I was like, that is going to be the poster. That is going to be the image we'd be re remembered for if we went with that girl. But she didn't have the range. Like she couldn't do any of, of you know, the normal drama stuff. Mm -hmm. And Ozzy, who was so sweet, can do all of that, that you immediately love her, which goes back to when does the audience fall in love with that character? Posey has even less screen time 
than Jackie has to, you know, to make people fall in love with her. So we need to find someone who can do that. And Posey just had that range. You could tell that Posey could do just like Jackie and grown up Posey could act you anything, you know? And so then it was the decision which I, I take a lot of credit for because I felt that had a lot of integrity for an exorcism movie to say, I'm not going to go with the obviously scarier mm -hmm. person without the range, but with Posey and I've never regretted it. I'm so glad that we did. Oh, and that adds that heart. She adds so much heart to that character. We feel for her when uh, when those moments happen, when it gets really, really scary. And again, going back to that initial exorcism where she has to be on her game um, and her most scary. And there's a lot of looks like a lot of practice. How much is it practical versus VFX in that particular sequence when everything's going absolutely insane? Was it a difficult thing to choreograph? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. It's a couple of days shoot, and then you break it into all these different sequences, which kind of is natural anyway. Because the thinking is that a, 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 every scene can be broken down into beats just from the acting. Because people are basically, if it's a good scene, it's people playing chess against each other with mind games, and and so you can. It's like a boxing match or something. Yeah. And ideally, visually, you also react to that, so you don't just brush over a beat change and keep the camera where it is. But if now suddenly someone in the power dynamic in the room is changing, that you also change, you know, the visualization of that. So it kind of comes natural to break that stuff into into segments anyway. But then with something that was this stunt heavy and this effects heavy, all the more, of course. Um, and in terms of the effects, it's always a mixture of both. You know, I've had this uh, discussion. Of course, I came from the from this Tarantino esque. Oh, it has to be all. It's only cinema if it happens on set. Practically, <laughs> then you try to do that, and you lose three and a half hours. And the effect. If I take Last Exorcism with the finger break stuff, you yeah. know, that, that we lost all these hours, and it just never worked, never worked. And then you have to clean it up in in after and in effects digitally. Yep. And what they always say without fault is like, oh, it's easier for us if we do it from scratch. Just throw out the stuff that you lost half a shooting day on, on set. We'll just replace it. And the technology now is so good that you totally get away with it. I totally understand that the horror community is kind of looking down on CGI effects, but there are just necessities. Let's say Posey in the third act where she is possessed, right? So we're shooting under under COVID constrictions, but also with a child, you're only allowed to shoot for six hours. Sure. And then they have to have a break with the, with the homework in between and the blah, blah, blah. And to do the makeup in real life that she needed, that would have been four and a half hours in the chair. Yeah. Even if I assume that a nine-year-old will come out of the chair with enough energy to then do the scene with me, you know, which might not be the case yeah. at all. But I also have an hour and a half to shoot that stuff, which is just not possible. So that was one scary moment where it's like, okay, can we rely on our CGI people to do digital makeup on her from scratch? Something that I didn't even know was technically wow. possible. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. That's crazy. It and looks so good. I know, right? Yeah. And we just saw it in Toronto on an impossibly big screen where I was like, oh, this is not going to hold up. No one, no effect can be expected to hold up. And they just did their Canadian company called Folks, and they were just incredible. They were incredible in the outcome, but they were also incredible in their patience of how many iterations. And, oh, I changed my mind. I know what, you know, where other people would freak out Canadians, nice as they are. <laughs> right here, Canadian yeah. as well. Hey, you're saying it too. Where are you from? Toronto and then Vancouver. Oh, no way. Okay. <laughs> what? I didn't know that. Oh I, yeah, I was I'm, just saying. Mississauga right now. Oh, that's wild! Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. No, I was just saying that. Yeah, I grew up in Toronto. Born, born in. Uh, spent most of my time in Ottawa, then Toronto, then Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, well, sorry, uh, Daniel. Be interrupted. Right now. So, 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 on that <laughs> note, on that note, that that title, uh, the poster, the poster art, right, and that scene just with the hair uh, coming out of <laughs> coming out of her mouth this is a great scene in the movie. Was that how was that achieved? Was that digital? Was that all digital? 
No. Yeah, those those were basically the parts filmed differently. We had a green puppet, like yeah. a dummy, that then the hand came through, the real hand. It literally yeah. looked like a sex doll. It was like, <laughs> like a doll with this like giant mouth. And I was like, somebody needs to be very large to fill that. But instead, hair is coming out. Of it. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and then it was it was our our intern from the COVID health company whose hand we used. Oh, that's hilarious. Who was very excited to cut you know and then you then you do po posy separately which is always hard for people to react to phenomena that obviously don't happen in the room if it's jackie reacting to the belly that you know in real life in the room does absolutely nothing yeah. other than sit there but then in cgi are all these different things and where does she look and so for posy to do that we kind of always talked her through it. We're like, oh, it's coming. <laughs> and everyone and now on the, in the making of, when I see myself, I'm like, it looks like I'm having a heart attack. But it was just to kind of, you know, yeah, you talk yeah. her to the beats. And then you pray that CGI can get that all together. Oh, it worked out brilliantly. And right. I, I want to mention, Jackie, like that whole sequence with you in the catacombs, it looked like there's a lot involved for you physically, or at least the, the illusion of a lot involved physically. How much of that was illusion? How much of it did you have to prepare for? And how difficult was it? Um, it was a lot of me. I get lifted up. It was harnessed, pulled up off the ground. Um, I grew up, I was a pretty competitive figure skater growing up. So like my body's pretty trained, I would say. What was really crazy is was the dunking into the holy water. Yeah. Where they flipped me upside down and then had so they had um like the body double here and then I was flipped upside down. Oh, wow. So then I was like going in as into you could see my feet on the ground. That is um, cool. Yeah, and then they used applesauce. Not applesauce, apple, uh apple juice to make it green. Wow. So, so yeah, water with a little bit of applesauce, uh, apple juice in it. So it tastes pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. worried because they're like eyes open, mouth open, mouth open going in. I'm like, is it going to sting my eyes? Like, what? Yeah. What is this going to be like? But it was fine. It was like. But that is one of those moments where you really get to know someone and how difficult or non-difficult they are. Because I can't think of many actors that would not have said, are you bloody killing right. me? <laughs> Bring in someone else to do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for Jackie, to, and it was very much like when we talk about Anne and how you have to see the terror, but her walking, working through it, that was Jackie in real life in that moment where it was clear that she wasn't going like, oh yeah, dunk me in there, no problem. She was like, holy shit, but she was doing it. You know, yeah. And she, yeah, it was good. And the moment before that is a good example for Jackie saying, let me just try something. It was about getting the possessed Jackie from point A into the well. And we had hired a, a great contortionist, but I just couldn't make it happen with this contortionist. I was doing rehearsals, not her fault at all. She was great, but I couldn't get it to somewhere where it felt like not a circus contortion, but something. So on the day I came to Jackie with that and I was like, I don't know what to do. And then she was like, let me try something. And she just does all the getting from A to B with the kind of contortions herself. And it looks more painful than I ever could have hoped for. Yeah. You know, and that's all Jackie just coming out to my eight out of nowhere. Amazing. You were very specific with the fact that it's the demon versus the human battling against each other. Sure. So I think that with an understanding of the character and that it's easier to kind of choreograph your body through that like tormenting thing rather than having exact choreography because then it just feels like you're doing something. Yeah. I mean, yeah, everything you're doing adds a sense that is something that we haven't seen in a movie like this or involving uh, subject matter like this is you instill a bunch of empathy into everything you're doing and including something like that. We can feel the gravity in that fight that you're having internally in every frame of the film when that stuff starts going on, which is an extraordinary thing to feel as an audience member, I got to say. So kudos to you for creating wow. that for us. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, Leo, we you have a... drop that mic, but if you could. <laughs> <laughs> Leo, we have another question. Uh, we're just going to wrap up in a few seconds here. Leo, go ahead, man. Yeah, sadly, Ben Cross, who plays Cardinal Matthews, passed away in 2020. Did he get to complete all his scenes or were there any extended scenes with him and the other clergy or with you, Jacqueline, that couldn't be completed? No, he finished everything that he did and then passed away 10 days later. He came in to set and the costume department uh, noticed that he had lost a significant amount of weight from his fitting. Mm. Um, so none of his wardrobe was fitting him. 
from an outside perspective, I would have had no idea how sick he was. He like had such gravitas with what he was doing. He was a hundred percent there. He took a moment to take me aside and tell me what, um, how lucky I was to be given this gift and this um, role and how serious I should be taking it. Wow. Yeah. He, uh, it truly was an honor to work with him and I'll never forget that. Mm. The, the one thing he didn't get to complete, so he could uh, only project a certain way and, and not the way you'd think that he can't project enough because he was so frail. It was the opposite. Like I was looking for a pretty specific kind of timber in his voice and a kind of whisper and a raspiness. And he said, I totally get that. I can't do it right now. I have to project this much because otherwise nothing comes out. I'll give it to you in ADR. Mm. So I'll, you know. And obviously he never was able to come in and, and do that ADR. So that's the only thing that kind of he wasn't uh, able to do anymore. But you, you knew when he walked off set, this was the last scene that Ben Cross, the legend that he is, has ever shot, you know? No, no, he was extraordinary. Every scene he was uh, in, yeah. of course, of course. Big honor. What, uh, I mean, as we close up here, uh, more adventures for Sister Anne. We got to have more. We've created an I icon so with you. this. <laughs> <laughs> What's stopping us here? What do we got to do to keep this machine going? A couple of million dollars, probably. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys have ideas that you'd love to see happen with this character? I mean, Jacqueline, have you been thinking about that, Dan? Oh, I got asked this the other day and I quickly was like, what if she became the Pope? <laughs> I really don't think that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> I, I, dad, I don't know. I'm not a writer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I see a whole franchise in this. Dan, what do you I say? think? I see that. I just don't know what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a very dangerous question. No, not at our stage, that's fine. But during making it, I'm always like, if there's talk about a sequel during the making of something, that is a bad sign because it, it tempts people to hold something back. Or like, oh, that Got would it. be a good idea for a sequel. Yes. But you want to put everything you have into that one movie because you've been given the chance to make that movie. The odds that you will get a sequel are so minute that you are crazy to hold anything back. And if you then you put your, all your ideas in the original movie, if you then get a sequel, great problem to, to have, you know, deal with, yeah. deal with it then. But on the other hand, we wanted to create, and we're very aware of that, we want to create an iconic exorcist that is so interesting that our goal is that we finish this movie and the audience comes out of it and wants more of her yeah wants yes. more stories with her if we're if we're then going to be able to do a sequel is a whole different thing but the character needs to be so compelling that that people would want a sequel yeah and from the opening scene with jacqueline to the last scene with jacqueline she definitely takes us there and Kudos to you guys for doing this for us. Thank you so much for your time and for, I mean, really pushing the genre forward with this bold and empowering creative vision that we have not seen before. It's an exceptionally challenging feat to pull off in this day and age, and this film certainly accomplishes this. And it's a perfect new classic for a spooky season and beyond. We urge everybody listening to go and see it. Uh, thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you. you. You're great at what you do. Yeah, oh my you you should do our marketing. <laughs> <laughs> We're stuttering ourselves through the process. Oh, no, my God. You guys are so fantastic and so eloquent and charming so and all that you. stuff. So thank you again for doing this with us. We really yes. appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank Very you. kind. All right, everybody. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 359. Special thanks to our guests and brand new best friends, Jacqueline Byers and Daniel Stam. At time of release, see their awesome new film, Pray for the Devil. It's in theaters everywhere now. Production tracks provided by the good folks at Powerman 5000 Incorporated. Till next time, this is Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, it's the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye.
Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.